Hello, this is Ron Powell, and you're listening to Fast Forward on the World Transformed. This program presents ongoing conversations with thought leaders who are shaping our future through new ideas and new technologies. In this edition of Fast Forward, Oliver Ratzesberger, Chief Product Officer of Teradata, talks with our hosts, Phil Bowermaster and Stephen Gordon, about his new book, The Sentient Enterprise. As businesses strive to become more agile and to better leverage larger and more complex data sets in real time, are we approaching an age where the enterprise can think and act on its own? Let's explore. The future begins right now. Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the World Transformed. Today we'll be talking about the future, and we've set our dial to fast forward. I'm Phil Bowermaster, and I'm pleased to introduce our very special guest for today's program, Oliver Ratzesberger. Oliver is Executive Vice President and Chief Product Officer of Teradata Corporation. Prior to Teradata, he spent seven years at eBay, where he led their data warehouse and big data platform programs. He also has deep experience with open source startups. Oliver joined Teradata in early 2013 as leader of the Teradata research and development software teams. As head of Teradata R&D, he now oversees a global organization including more than 1,900 technologists around the world. Plus, he's co-author of a new book, The Sentient Enterprise, which we'll be talking about on today's program. Oliver Ratzesberger, welcome to Fast Forward. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you. This is a conversation that we've been looking forward to having for some time. We also have with us today in the virtual studio, as always, my co-futurist and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Stephen, the dial is set to fast forward. Why don't you get the conversation started? Thanks, Phil. Oliver, welcome to the show. Can you begin by very briefly describing the basic concept of the sentient enterprise? Stephen, yes, great. Thank you. The sentient enterprise is meant to paint a North Star for companies to where they could take their businesses, especially in the world of advanced analytics and data and sensor data growing around us, uh, companies are looking for kind of a, a roadmap of what kind of capabilities they need to develop. In today's world, there are so many different technologies available for companies and executives and IT departments to implement that many executives that we talk to struggle with, you know, where do I even start? Do I pick technology A over B? Do I, do I use open source or closed source? Do I do it in the cloud or on-premises? And if you look at all the choices that they have, it often drowns executives in tactical decision-making rather than painting a multi-year roadmap of where do I need to be. The term sentient enterprise comes from a definition of sentience as in a human being is a sentient being. We think, we listen, we interact, we learn. And the problem is, the more of us you put together in a company, the less we do that as a company, right? And it is really difficult for large organizations to scale while staying agile, to leverage data, think about behavioral patterns rather than transactions, how to collaborate at scale all the way to 
as we hear it a lot today, what, what do I do with AI? How do I put machine learning algorithm signal detection into the workplace and support the employees and make them more productive and help us define the industry that we're in better, compete against competitors in the market out there, and deal with problems like time to market, at scale thinking, exponential thinking. Those are terms that we often run into with executives in a sentient enterprise. We wrote that book and we defined that term to help executives think a little bit different about the capabilities that they need to build in order to be successful out there in the next three, five, seven, or 10 years out there. Well, it's a fascinating concept. And I love the idea of sentience which is something we all have. And you think the the typical enterprise, the employees are all good decision makers, or there's a lot of good decision makers there, a lot of good thinkers there. And then suddenly, somehow, through the process of bringing more and more people together, those qualities get lost. Those properties are lost. And here you're describing a process whereby you bring that back and give it to the organization as a whole. Now, how did you and Mohan Shani come to be working together on this. He's your co-author of this book. And what did each of you bring to the table in defining the sentient enterprise? It really started almost exactly four years ago when a good shared friend of ours, Mary Gross, she called me up one day and said, hey, you know what? I've been working with Mohan, this professor from Kellogg School of Management. He's such a visionary thinker out there. And I really think the two of you need to meet and talk about what is happening in the industry and then see where it takes us from there. And so we agreed right on the spot to say, yeah, let's, let's do that. And it was funny. It was November 12th, 2013. So 11, 12, 13, that we got to meet at the campus of Kellogg School of Management. And, you know, we got introduced more and I talked a little bit We ended up spending two hours right in his office until we said, okay, time to grab dinner and went to a local place where we, I think, spoke and talked for another five hours that evening. And it started out with real back-of-the-napkin conversations in terms of I introduced myself, my background, what we have done at places like eBay, how I see companies struggling around the world taking their enterprises to the next level. He talking about he's on the board or working with some of the top executives of the biggest brands in the world and how they too are struggling in the same way. And all of a sudden we started realizing that what he's seeing from an academic or from a 50,000 foot kind of view, I have experienced a little bit from the bottom up where uh, having solved some of the problems, having built some of the capabilities, and how that met together. And it was that evening that we actually came up with a name of that capability model going back and forth. At some point in time, Mohan just, you know, was like, you know, this almost sounds like sentience. You know, if we apply this to the enterprise, this would be the sentient enterprise. And it was that evening that it kind of, that became the kindling that stuck with us. And I remember over the next days and weeks on every opportunity, whenever I was in an airplane, whenever we were traveling, we were constantly iterating ourselves over this topic and emails and messages would go back and forth. And only six or eight weeks later, we agreed to get back together, but this time already with a group of other people and we get a graphic artist we hired for that full day event that we did in San Diego, where we sat down and just said, you know, let's talk about all of this and let's, let's have a graphic artist capture what we are saying here so that we visually see in front of us what is coming together. And ultimately, that 
kicked off the whole work on the sentient enterprise, and it became first work that I've used in kind of lectures and in presentations and put like an hour, hour and a half long talk together that I've used with by now probably hundreds of executives and C-level executives of companies around the world. And whenever I gave that talk, executives walked out of there like, oh my God, this is for the first time somebody that doesn't talk about technology and bits and bytes and one product versus another, but about the capabilities that, that we need to build. And oh my God, we need them all. And ultimately, more and more people started asking, when do you put this into a book so that we ultimately can read it and use it as a guideline for the types of decisions that we need to make? And ultimately, the last two years, we spent writing the book, which is now about to come out, right? In fact, I think we can say it's out as of the availability of this podcast. So look at Amazon.com or wherever books are sold for the sentient enterprise. Well, there you go, 11, 12, 13, an auspicious day. And did you know at the time, or did you even suspect that once you came up with that phrase, sentient enterprise, it would become kind of the focus of your whole life for the years to come? I did not. I didn't even realize the date at that point in time. It's something that after the fact, you look back and like, oh my God, yeah, it was an auspicious date. And it was a relationship that formed on the spot and that has driven us for, for several years now. And it is something that is becoming more and more relevant in today's world for executives. Oliver, you and Mohan outlined in the Sentient Enterprise a five-stage capability maturity model for a company to achieve optimal agility and value from data. Let's talk briefly through those stages. Absolutely. And by the way, I want to highlight the fact that this is not a linear model. This is not you do the first stage or then the second and then the third. These are really capabilities that, yes, they build on each other, but they form something much larger when used together. And yes, agility is a big, big foundational part in this thing, but it's only one of the five capabilities. So in fact, the first capability we call the Agile platform or the Agile data platform is about how do you become agile with data and analytics, given that data is almost the biggest asset for every company now? And how do you do it without falling for the wild, wild west? We see too many companies that declare they are agile or that they are fast with time to market. When you peel back a little bit the onion, what you see is that they have stopped governance, they have stopped best practices, they have stopped documentation, and just say, hey, you know, you team there, go run fast, and in 30 days, give me something. And that works in the beginning, and that works in certain use cases, but it very quickly leads to a card house that falls apart the moment you pull one card out of there, right? This, the, the whole fact that you need to design for repeatability, companies are starting to realize how hard it actually is to implement agility at scale and make it repeatable. And you cannot take shortcuts and you cannot throw out governance in a company. What you need to do is you need to build it into a platform and it's really kind of defining uh, a, a, a modern platform-based company that says, okay, I designed the company from the ground up for agility. And what does that mean? And how do I avoid silos, right? We talked in the beginning, like how every human being is a sentient human being, yet when we, we put us together, we are not. Well, that's because we are all silos. We all think disconnected from each other. And organizations tend to fall into silos very, very quickly. You know, marketing versus supply chain versus security versus IT. And they all look at different things. And the way companies implement that often ends up 
building silos, building one-off copies of data, and that's where data drift happens, that's where real problems start coming into it that are very hard to overcome for organizations. And so agility and that platform for agility is the very first thing that's foundational for everything that we do here. The second capability, we call it the behavioral platform or the behavioral data platform, is inherently changing the thinking and the culture of an organization from transactional thinking to behavioral thinking. And that sounds like something very small, and it's like one of the hardest things for most companies to go through. Companies are very good counting transactions. Look at a retailer. Oh, every retailer knows exactly how many things they sold on Monday and how many it was a week ago, a month ago, a quarter ago, a year ago, and everything is counted in transactions or shipments, and we're great. We have BI dashboards and drill downs and, and reports and KPIs and everything. We have perfected that probably over the last decade since data has been collected. However, more and more companies start realizing that transactions are really either an outcome or they are a step towards something greater, and it's really about customer journey. It's really about customer behavior or machine behavior, right? This is true for both customer-centric as well as industrial companies, because a turbine that you operate in the Sahara behaves very differently than compared to running it in Canada, for example, right? And these behavioral patterns are very different to deal with. They are not as easy to count. They are not as easy to deal with, and it takes different thinking. And this is where data scientists have come into organizations. That's where all of a sudden more mathematicians, statisticians are building behavioral models and therefore trying to understand why things are happening rather than just counting the outcomes very big transformational change for most companies. It doesn't matter what technology, it's when the CEO realizes that you know, revenue and profit are, for example, directly related to net promoter score, and net promoter score is what customers are saying about a company, which is ultimately driven by behaviors. Third capability is basically collaboration at scale, the collaboration platform, meaning how do I get people in an organization to work with each other? If we become more agile, if we do more and more behavioral thinking, how do we connect the people that might be sitting one floor uh, separated from each other that are working on exactly the same problem, yet they have no idea that they're doing this, what somebody else in the company is doing? And this is a huge, huge problem for more and more companies. The larger you get, the more silos are happening, and the more agile you do, and the more behavioral thinking you do, it amplifies that problem. And so now you need to have a platform, and we often refer to it when we built that ourselves at first at eBay, as kind of the LinkedIn for analytics. It's like, oh, here's other people in the organization that look at the same set of data, or here are the trending sets of analytics that are happening in the company, and or, oh, people that look at this data set often combine it with the following data sets. Right? None of these concepts are new or groundbreaking, but they are not applied in most companies for collaboration or crowdsourcing or how to bring people together. And that's a big capability that's needed in order to scale fast and move fast at scale in a repeatable way. And then gets us to capability four, which is the, we call it the data application platform, which is how do we bring app economy into organizations. Because the biggest problem is 
any sort of applications and software development is usually, usually locked away for the IT departments of companies. Yet, when you look outside of companies, you all carry your smartphone of choice. The real breakthrough of the smartphones were when companies like Apple or Google realized this takes an app store and there could be millions of developers and I need to build a platform for them to build an app, roll it out, deploy it to millions of customers without a central IT organization doing that. And these thoughts need to be brought into organizations because organizations hire off of universities people that have already some level of programming skills. They know Python, they know SQL, they know, they know R, they know a couple of these things, yet they're being told in most companies, well, but you can't write software because you're not in IT. You, know, you can write a requirements document and then somebody in IT will build it for you, which of course means 18 months later, something shows up that has no resemblance of what, what the original idea was. And so in order to support that agility, we also need to build the tooling to basically say, if you are just a little bit of a developer, you need to be able to write an app and make it available to the rest of the company. And the same needs to happen for data integration. Listen to data at the enterprise scale. Don't send ETL developers or, or IT people to grab data after the fact because it just doesn't scale and it will never be agile. Which takes us to the fifth capability, which is the autonomous decision platform. This is where companies are trying to now implement signal detection, machine learning, deep learning, AI, in order to deal with patterns in real time as they are happening and leverage decisions on the spot and or surface changes in behaviors up to human beings to say, hey, here are the top three new trends. You should be looking at that and you should make a decision about what we are going to do there. Because too many companies have built infrastructures and processes and data platforms where they have so much data, human beings, we just don't scale. Even if you have an organization with 800 analysts, 800 pairs of eyes is not enough for the world of data that we live in. And that means we can only scale ourselves and our people through algorithms and make sure that we train algorithms and empower algorithms to make certain decisions for us so that we can, as a retailer, for example, can get to one-hour shipping or to unlimited returns. And all of that is based on algorithms and how companies are thinking about that. So those are the five capabilities that obviously are closely linked with each other, but they're not a serial a model where you do one and then two or three. We produce as a world, every 12 months, we double the amount of data that's available. And so this problem with scaling up, it's only going to become more essential that we use. Yes. AI and, and yep. other tools as time goes by. Yep, absolutely. So Oliver, I've had the opportunity to hear you talk through this capability maturity model a couple of times, and it was really when reading the book that my eyes kind of opened to what you're talking about when you talk about each of these platforms. I think before, when I heard you talk about, for example, an agile data platform, I was picturing something like the Teradata Unified Data Architecture or, or, or some other set of tools. And not to say that tools aren't required for this, but what you're actually describing is a full suite of capabilities, independent perhaps of the individual software tools that you're using, that is kind of driving the company away from these artificial mechanical models to these much more complex organic models that an organism, a sentient being, would actually be required. I think the example of living things don't have transactions, right? They have behaviors. That, that really makes a lot of sense. 
Yes, and thanks for bringing this up. This is not a book about Teradata, right? Let's be very clear. And this is not about Teradata products. This is about the capabilities. And, and when you look at agility, I've now worked in three companies where we have worked on transformation to agility. Agility is a multi-year process for most companies. And you never end up getting there, you just get better at it, right? And it's probably a continuous improvement process by itself that can last for a very, very long time. But it's about how do you enable that and how do you design that and what kind of cultural changes does a company have to go through in order to embed that and not fall back to the old way of doing things the first time something goes wrong. And that is something I've simply seen in enough instances myself or with executives that I've talked around the world that, by the way, it doesn't matter what technology that you pick, you can fail with any technology. The best technology in the world, if you can't activate the organization, the culture, change the processes, and the business outcome, it doesn't matter what technology you have implemented, just will not be worth a single dollar that you spent on that. Having said so, of course, great technology makes it a lot easier to get to certain outcomes. But I wanted to have this conversation with executives in terms of what are they trying to do and not about what kind of products or product features they should implement. Because there's an outcome almost, a helpful tool in your tool belt, but you have to aim for something much, much higher as an executive in a company. Absolutely. Are there some companies that are already implementing the ideas from Ascension Enterprise? Yes, a great question. And this is always something, when you write a book about a capability model, of course, where do you find the examples of companies that do that? And that is something that we took a lot of time and worked with a lot of executives from around the world. And if you actually look into the book, there's probably, I don't know, 15 examples that ultimately made it into the book of companies that do individual bits and pieces. I would argue There is no sentient enterprise in the world today that is perfect, right? And there might not be one in 10 years because it is hard to get to these things, but there's companies that do individual parts of that, and some have really excelled at doing that. One of the examples that we talk in the book, for example, is Volvo Cars, right, the car manufacturer, and how they are using data. I had the opportunity, I think one and a half years ago, I was invited by their executive board to go in and talk to them about that. For them, something like autonomous driving is not the goal. It's a tool. Their goal is do not harm another human being in a Volvo car past, I don't know, 2020 or 2021 or whatever their goal is, right? For them, it's protecting humans and how you make transportation so safe that nobody gets harmed in their vehicles anymore. And for them, autonomous driving is one way to get there. But so is building integrations between bicycles and bicyclist helmets and cars so that the car can alert the driver about the bicyclist that is around that blind corner that you can't even see just yet, right? And how that improves the chances of both vehicles on the street not getting into a bad situation. And yes, they have started to look at data at a very different scale. They have become much more agile in terms of how they develop and integrate that, how they eliminate the silos of information that otherwise create that data drift, which locks away so much of our employees' time arguing who has the right data or what result is the right result. And when you go in there, they even use the term sentient enterprise internal with teams. And another company just here in Southern California, Blizzard Entertainment, they have done amazing things 
in their games through data and how to improve player experience and player retention and cross-sell, upsell through advanced analytics. And again, if you go into their teams, some of them even have sentient enterprise posters on their walls to remind them that whatever piece of code or technology they're currently implementing is ultimately geared at a much, much larger goal. In fact, they have implemented certain capabilities so quickly that I couldn't believe it first when I saw that. Oliver, one of the things I really enjoyed in the book, reading the various customer stories, was how different the emphasis might be from one company to another. We've covered the fact that there's five different aspects of the capability maturity model, and there's also five characteristics of an optimally agile or a sentient enterprise that's discussed in the book, whether they're proactive, frictionless, autonomous, scalable, and evolving. And it was interesting to me that in some of the stories, the real emphasis was on becoming more autonomous. In some, it was on becoming more proactive. Depending on the business or just maybe depending on where that organization is, what they were focusing on could be significantly different. Yes, this is not an industry model, right? This is not, oh, this is done for banking. Or, in fact, one of the examples in the book is about the San Francisco Giants and how they use data. And in a way, that's about how they become more scalable in terms of how they train both their pitchers as well as the rest of the players based on data that they can collect now and leverage to adjust their training as well as who plays at what point in time in what game. And it has nothing to do with traditional industries out there, yet even they need to do this faster and faster, need to scale beyond what sports has been able to do just years ago. And so the reception across virtually all industries, executives at all levels, even into sports, has been great. And I think it has validated our couple of years of work on that together that we have done. And that's why we believe the book is something that will help even more companies understand that and then set their own sentient enterprise north stars in terms of, I want to be there. And by the way, yes, it will take a couple of years to get there. So we're almost out of time. And I love that image, by the way, of the North Star. I think that's a terrific way of kind of framing the whole idea, the whole concept. And keeping with that kind of large guiding influence sort of image, what do you see businesses evolving into in the years to come, both within and possibly beyond the framework of the sentient enterprise? Where do we, where do we go from here? There is so much disruption happening in the last five to 10 years, if you think about it, in this concept of exponential thinking, right? How one technology completely disrupts an entire generation of prior technologies, or how one way of thinking or implementing a company completely disrupts industries, whether that is ride-sharing, as we look at Lyft and Uber, and compared to the good old taxi, a business that has been around forever. These kinds of disruptions are accelerating. And they're accelerating on the heels of data, sensor data, algorithms, connecting people, customers, employees, companies with each other to basically take friction out of the process. The reason why our smartphones have become so much our hub in our lives is because it's frictionless. I can deposit a check in a matter of five seconds. I can book a ride in a matter of 10 seconds. I know about the weather, the scores, the industry, the business around the globe 
in a matter of seconds. And that drives different behavior. And customers are starting to expect different things. It's not good enough to wait a week before I see new data or results, right? And so that is driving a lot of innovation. And only companies, I think, that can align themselves with an ever-increasing velocity and set up a roadmap to get there will be, first of all, the survivors of their industries or the ones that completely redefine their industries, right? And that is something that I think a lot of boards and executives around the world are faced with and are looking at. And it's something that we believe there is individual best practices of how to get this done and be systematic about that and scale that. And that's what we have been trying to explain with the sentient enterprise and where it hopefully will help a lot more companies do that going forward. Oliver, here's wishing you great success with the book and with your ongoing work in defining the sentient enterprise. And thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Thank you so much for having me here. It has been a pleasure talking to both of you. Well, that is going to do it for this edition of Fast Forward on the World Transform. My thanks to Ron Powell and Stephen Gordon. And our special thanks once again to Oliver Ratzesberger for being with us today. And thank you all for listening. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore a future that is unfolding before us in unexpected ways and at a breathtaking pace. And until next time, live to see it. To learn more about Oliver Ratzesberger and the Sentient Enterprise, visit Teradata.com or sentiententerprise.com To learn more about this podcast, visit us at worldtransform.com.